0: morning, everybody. How are you today? It is good to see you. I just told um, some of them in the back as I was um, getting ready to come out here, you'd think I would know better than this right now, but um, what I do is I stand over there and I sing my guts out and I come out here and I'm winded. I'm like, I got to do some cardio or something. This is killing me. I don't know what's going on. But man, what a sweet presence of the Lord that's in this place this morning, and I'm so glad that you are here, those of you in person, those of you joining us online, thank you so much for being here. If you've got your Bibles, take them and turn with me to John chapter 20. We're going to be in John chapter 20. Uh, we're also going to be um, in just a moment in Luke chapter 9, but, so just hold your place there in just a moment, uh, we'll get there. Um, but John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9, this is one of the accounts of as they discover that the tomb... Is empty, And it's John, his, one of his closest disciples, who is writing this. And he's writing it many years later, trying to remind people of everything Jesus has done. So in chapter 20, verse 1 says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is John. That's how he refers to himself. And she said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb, and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I still don't know why John has to tell us that he beat Peter in the race (laughs) to the tomb. That is such a man thing to do. I identify with that. It's a little embarrassing, but I'm also a little impressed too, you know? Verse 5 says, And he stooped and looked in and saw that the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then a disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. That's such a, he saw and believed. He's been with Jesus for three and a half years. And now this changes everything. He's seen so much in Jesus. He's heard so much. But he goes and looks and the tomb is empty. The place where Jesus had been crucified, the place where he had been buried, the place where they anticipated to find Jesus, he's no longer there, it's empty. It says he saw and believed. But then he goes on in verse nine says, for until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. After all of this time, they still didn't understand the purpose that Jesus had come. Let's pray. Father, in the next few moments, I pray that you would open up your word to us and I pray that we would open up our lives to your word so that you may accomplish your perfect will in us and you may examine our hearts and speak hope and truth to some of us and some of us a reassurance of all that you've done in our lives. Father, I pray you anoint the word as it goes forth, anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive so that you may accomplish everything in your heart you've settled to do and we'll give you the praise for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1999, there was a movie that came out. Um, how many of you like movies that have sort of plot twists at the, at the end of them? You, you, something happened, you weren't expecting that? In 1999, there was one of those movies that was the ultimate plot twist. It was called The Sixth Sense. Um, and in this movie, it's kind of a thriller, kind of a little bit, maybe a little bit of a horror movie. But uh, in this movie, um, now, I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert on this movie, okay? And if you're here to go, man, don't do that, you've had 23 years to watch this movie. <laughs> That's been on the to do list for a long time, okay? I'm going to check that box for you. Bruce Willis is a psychologist, and he comes into contact with a boy who has a problem, and the boy is, is having these um, issues that he's seeing things, and, and his mom is worried about him, and so Bruce Willis begins to talk with him, his character does as a psychologist, and so as he's talking with him, the boy finally reveals his secret to him, and he says, I want to tell you my secret. He said, what is it? And he just sort of whispers. He says, I see dead people. He was like, what do you mean? You see like in graves? He said, no, I see them all the time. They're walking around, but they don't know that they're dead, and Bruce Willis is like, Okay, let's process through how to deal with this. And so the rest of the movie is Bruce Willis trying to help him process through the the things that he is seeing. And finally, at the end of it, he is processed through. The young man is better. He's learned how to cope with things. And Bruce Willis is now spending some time. He goes and he's trying to reconcile with his wife that he feels like he's been estranged from for a year. And at the end of this movie, as he is about to talk to his wife, he he realizes that he's dead that the reason why this kid has been talking to him is he's dead. And you're just like, what? And then it starts flashing back in the movie, and it flashes back and it shows you all of these scenes where you should have seen that he was dead. So it goes back and you goes, oh, my goodness, I should have seen that. Oh, my goodness, I should have seen that. How did I not see that? I've yet to meet someone to watch the movie that, that another person hasn't given them either a spoiler alert or they go, Way to the ending, buddy. You know, you know. the so way that's you know. I've I've yet to see anybody that sort of figures it all out. At the very end of it, you just keep saying, "I should have seen that." John has spent three and a half years with Jesus. He's watched Jesus do miracles. He watched him heal the sick, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal those that were lame and made them to walk. He's seen Jesus calm storms from a boat by just saying, peace, be still, and the winds and the waves calm down. He's watched Jesus walk on water. He's watched Jesus cast out demons. He's heard Jesus teach and preach the kingdom of God. He's seen it all. He's heard it all. But it is not until he goes and realizes that Jesus, who he knew was dying for the sins and buried, that Jesus was no longer in the grave. It's then where it says, he saw and he believed. Now, this is not the third person telling this about you. This is John writing many years later saying, this is the moment that changed everything in my life. This is the moment where everything that I had processed, where everything that I experienced, everything came together in this moment and I realized and I believed You see, John has been involved with Jesus all this time, and John has literally experienced things that other people had not, but they go directly with the things that the Jewish people and even people today believe. They thought they had two connections to God. They thought they had God's word, which was the Old Testament, and they thought they had a link to God through their ancestor, Abraham. These were the two things that made them special. These were the things that they relied on. And so John now looks back and says, out of all of those things, and now that I see Jesus and the tomb is empty, now I believe. I want you to notice two experiences John has, one prior to this and one immediately after this, that speaks to the issues that Jesus has accomplished more than we can ever imagine. The first thing I want you to see is this, is that Jesus is greater than our greatest hopes about God. I don't know what your hopes are about God. I don't know what your dreams are about God. When you envision God, I don't know what you think about God. I don't know how you imagine God to be, but Jesus is greater than all of those. I don't know if you imagine how life after death is going to be. I don't know if you imagine how it's going to be in his presence. I don't know how you imagine that, but Jesus is greater than the greatest hopes you may have about God. As a matter of fact, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 9, There is a story that is told, John is involved, Simon Peter is involved, and also John's brother James is involved in this story. They're going to go up on a mountain with Jesus and experience something that no one else will experience. In Luke chapter 9, verse 28, it says, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus, and they were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep, and when they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In other words, this is great. Let's stay here. This is, this is where we need to be. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. What a spectacular scene that they get to see. Moses and Elijah, You see, they had their scripture. It's how they knew they were connected to God through the scripture. And the Old Testament scripture, which which was what they had, the Old Testament scripture was called the Law and the Prophets. This is how Jesus referred to them. He would talk about the Law and the Prophets. The law was the first five books of the Old Testament, those that Moses wrote when God handed down the law that said, I want you to be different than the places where you've lived. I want you to be different than the people of Egypt that I'm bringing you out of. I want you to live differently. This is how you are to remain holy. The prophets were everything else. The wisdom literature, like considered Job and Psalm and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, Plus, all of the major prophets and all the minor prophets, all 66 books are encapsulated in the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. Moses represents the law, Elijah was the greatest of prophets. So, the law and the prophets meet Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Simon Peter gets it all wrong. He blurts out, This is great! Let's just build three memorials, one to you, one to Moses, and one to Elijah. And he doesn't get it. Jesus isn't equal with the law and the prophets. Jesus is Lord over the law and the prophets. Elijah and Moses didn't come to stand on equal terrain. They came to worship and minister to Jesus because Jesus was not just the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the author of the law and the prophets because John chapter one tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God speaking of Jesus Christ so that Jesus, the author of creation is the author of the finished word of God in the old Testament. And so Simon Peter says, this is good that we are here. But there's something else about Moses and Elijah. Elijah, we know by scripture, was taken up to heaven before he died. Literally taken up in a cloud, in a wind, in a whirlwind. The Bible tells us that he went without death. Many of the Jewish believers, although Moses went on a mountain to meet God, Many of the Jewish believers believe that Moses also ascended to God without death. The Bible doesn't speak to that, but this was the common belief in that. So now you have two people that have never tasted death ministering to Jesus. And so Simon Peter says, this is immediately following Jesus predicting his death. Immediately following it. Simon Peter says, it is good. Two guys that have never experienced death. You're the Messiah. We don't have to experience death. Let's just hang out here for a while because that's what we want. We want to avoid the pain and the sorrows of this earth, and we want to avoid at all cost death because in our mind, death is finality. But Jesus didn't come in order to allow you just to escape death. He came to overcome death, Hell and the grave. He didn't come to make you an escapee. He came to make you an overcomer. That's what Jesus came for. And Jesus says, you have no idea what I'm about to accomplish here. I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to give my life for the sins of the world. And I'm going to be buried in a tomb, but I'm going to be raised to new life again so that not only are your sins paid for, you can be raised to new life again. And you don't have to live the way in bondage to the sin and your past the way you've had to. This is the promise that he's making us. Peter says, let's just stay here. You see, Peter, at this moment in time, if he says, we just stay here, everything will be okay. But Simon Peter's only thinking of himself, as many of us are prone to do when Jesus is thinking of the world. Because scripture tells us that you can't just remain in a relationship with God while sin is rampant as a matter of fact Hebrews 9 verse 22 tells us that without without the purchase or remission of sin I mean the the spilling of blood there is no payment or remission of sin there has to be a price that's paid Hebrews chapter 2 tells us this in verse 14 because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood the son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die And only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he be set free, all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. The purpose for him coming was not just to allow you to live a pain-free life. It's so that you could overcome and you could be victorious in this life and in the life to come. And then a few verses later, we find out that their hope was not just in escaping problems. Their hope was also in their place in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, in verse 46, it tells us that as they come down off the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, he says, Now, when we get down there, don't tell anybody about this until after I rise from the dead. And they say, Okay. Just a few moments later, they are walking down a path, and Jesus hears all of them arguing, and it is revealed that they are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Now, can you, can you imagine this? You see the transfiguration. Jesus says, don't tell anyone until after I rise from the dead. This seems significant. And they're walking down. I'm sure it gets started by one of them kind of going, boy, you should have seen what we saw. If you'd have been up there with us. I mean, I can't tell you exactly what it was, but there's a special place for us in the kingdom. And Jesus tells him, you don't get it. Unless you become as a child. You can't even inherit the kingdom of God. He said, you don't understand the kingdom because they're viewing it through human eyes, much like we are. See, two of the main ways we view things through human eyes is by self-preservation and self-promotion. How can I avoid pain? And how can I get a place of prominence? But that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not about preserving our lives. It's about gaining his life. The kingdom of God is not about securing our position. It's about surrendering to his lordship. And until we see Jesus through the lens of the resurrection, we will not know the power of Christ for us to overcome sin, death, hell, and the grave. And that is God's plan for us. See, the resurrection allows us to see and to comprehend how wonderful, how loving, how kind, how generous, and how powerful Jesus Christ really is. As a matter of fact, John says, it wasn't until I experienced the empty tomb that Jesus was really alive, that I believed. And in John chapter 20, he says, and I'm writing you all of these things for one reason, that you might know and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he is Lord. The one reason he writes is that people could see what he's seen, that there's a risen Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to see, or the scene that I want you to see, is right after he experiences the empty tomb. Almost immediately following that. And it shows us one more thing, and that's Jesus restores our greatest need. Do you know what sociological study after study after study after study tells us? The greatest need that people have is to belong, they want to belong. They want to be a part. They want want to be a part of something that means something. In verse 11, it says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. And she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because you've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. And Jesus said, Mary. And she turned to him, cried out, "Rabboni," which is Hebrew for teacher. And Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father but go and find my brothers and tell them. I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. What's significant about that is when he tells Mary to go and tell them that he's alive, he calls them his brothers. It's the first time in all of scripture he calls them my brothers. He's called them his servants. He's called them his disciples. The night before he is crucified, he calls them his friends. But this is the first time he calls them his brothers. He says, tell my brothers, I'm going to my father and your father, my God and your God. The same relationship that I have with him, I offer to you right now, he says. And this is significant because the Jewish people did not refer to God as father. They referred to Abraham as their father because Abraham was their link to get to God. And Jesus is saying, I honor Abraham, but I'm removing him as a necessity for the link. I'm removing necessity for a high priest anymore. I'm giving you direct access to God as now, not just your God, but as your father And in the moment he says, go tell my brothers, the relationship changes. You know, words are a powerful thing. The mere spoken word can change a relationship. A couple that is dating, when these words are spoken, I love you, that relationship has changed. When words are spoken like, I now pronounce you husband and wife, that relationship has changed. When a doctor comes out and says, congratulations, it's a boy, it's a girl, that relationship has changed. (laughs) These are powerful words. You see, when Jesus says, go tell my brothers, there's been a change in relationship. God is not a distant idea. He is not some, he's not the man upstairs. He's not some deity above. He's offering you the chance to have a relationship that brings you in to his family that makes you a son or a daughter of the king. And you have no right to it. I have no right to it. There's nothing in my heritage that says I should have this right. And it's not because of heritage that I get this. It's because he chose to love us. The Bible says we've been given the spirit of adoption, that because he chose to love us, even though we didn't deserve it, that we can be grafted into his family and treated as his own. A few years ago, um, Laura and I pastored in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, several years ago before we came back to Mount Perrin North. And uh, one of the couples, beautiful family that was a part of the church and also a part of our, our life group, our small group, um, they had, they had met years prior to that and, and fallen in love. And when they met, their name is Leo and Angela. When they met, um, Angela had a small daughter at the time and Leo, they, they began to date and Leo fell in love with Angela and she fell in love with Leo and Leo began to fall in love with Alessandra too. And then they had their own little girl, Annalisa. And, and, uh, later on, they had a little boy, Leo Jr. But Alessandra had a different father. He was distant, removed, and didn't have anything to do in their life. And Leo loved her like his own, but never pressed the issue. Wanted her to be a part of his family, but said, when she's ready, I'm ready. Three and a half years ago, she said she was ready, and they captured it on film, and they were so willing yesterday to share it with me. I want you to see this. the great things about that, it's a visualization. A great visual of what it means to be accepted. From that day forward, Alessandra will never refer to him as my mom's husband or my stepdad. That is her poppy, her father. From that day forward, he will never refer to her as his stepdaughter or his wife's daughter. That's his daughter. It's the opportunity that Jesus offers us. You have no right to have a relationship with God. And yet because of Jesus, he offers you that way. One thing that struck me was the joy on her face knowing that she was accepted. The joy on his face knowing that his patient love was finally received. It's a picture of what the Father in heaven is like. The Bible says, because there's rejoicing in the presence of angels every time someone comes and accepts Christ as Lord. And that's our opportunity today as well. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here in this room and you know when you came in here things weren't right between you and the Lord, if you are watching online and you know things aren't right between you and the Lord, today's the day. The Spirit is calling you, beckoning you, tendering your heart right now. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that the price you paid on the cross was enough, but thank you, oh God, that you rose from the dead so that I could have new life again. I pray that you would forgive me of my past, of my sins, and I'm yielding now to your Lordship. I will never be the same because of what Jesus has done. Now, just like everyone in the room, just to pray this prayer profession with me, would you just say, Jesus, I give you my life? Jesus, you my life. Come on boldly, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bow and your eyes closed, if that's you, I'm not here to embarrass you or call you out. But if you know you came, when you came in here this morning, things weren't right between you and the Lord, you say, I'm going to make a change today. Follow Him. I want to pray for you this week while no one's looking. Would you just simply be bold enough to raise your hand really high so I can pray for you this week. God bless you. God bless you. you're not alone. Amen. 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 Leave them up just a moment more, please. Thank you. Best decision you've ever made. Right there. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you right now that your sacrifice through Jesus was planned from the beginning of time because you loved us. And it is enough. Thank you for hearts that have been yielded. Thank you for lives that have been changed. Thank you for hope that has been restored. And now, today, we celebrate. We celebrate a risen Lord and Savior, but Lord, we do it with new family members today. New family members, Lord, that have accepted that call of adoption that we have received from you. And now the kingdom of heaven is enlarged. And God, we thank you and we praise you for all that you've done. And it is not because of anything we've done. It's because of Jesus and Him alone. To Him be all the glory and the power and the dominion and the praise forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen.
1: was rich. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running all this time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me Divine, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside, and then at the cross you paid the debt I owe. Broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time.
0: adequate response is to say thank you is to say thank you would you just take a moment right now I know this may be uncomfortable for some of you and you don't have to do it but for those in the room just would you just speak your praise of thanks to the Lord right now for all he's done in your life speak it to him right now he's worthy thank you Lord thank you for bringing us out Thank you for seeing us through. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for filling us. Thank you for anointing us. Thank you for empowering us. Thank you for the promise that you give us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And that you are waiting for us in eternity. Lord, we thank you today for all that you are and all that you've done. In the precious name of Jesus, amen and amen. Now, come on, give the Lord your highest praise. Amen? Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. If you want a reason to celebrate today, how about 13 people gave their hearts to Jesus today? Amen. Amen. If you made that decision, we're proud of you. But more than that, the Lord is so proud of you. And if we can help you in your journey, we would love to help you. When the service is over, there's going to be some folks that are right around here they are part of our GROW team. So if you made a decision to follow Christ, or you want to know some more about Mount Perry North, those folks will be down here. They're going to answer any questions that you might possibly have. We would love to meet you and kind of help you get your walk started with the lord or get involved here at mount Perrin north uh, i hope you'll join us next week we're going to continue this series actually a series we're beginning today on literally the different people who are encountering jesus and how they've changed their how he changed their lives during that time next week as a matter of fact outside um, in the atrium area there is a storyboard there that's filled with different things so it, it, you take a string and go from this is who i used to be and this is who i am I hope you'll go out and, and view it, but and see the lives that have been changed. But even personally partake of that, where you can say, "This is who I was. I was lost. Now I'm found. I was, I was rejected. Now I'm accepted." And let your testimony be a part of that. And uh, we believe that God's going to do great things, and those testimonies are going to grow and grow and grow over the next few weeks as well. Before you leave here today, I want you to know I want to bless you before you go, and that blessing is based on Deuteronomy chapter six, verses twenty-four to twenty-six. It says, "When you speak this." It's you place the name of the Lord on his people as they leave. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. He is risen. Happy Easter, everybody.